When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, loyal listeners. Frank here uh, to let you know that Gil and I are taking one week off, just a week, for the 4th of July holiday. After all, this is a nostalgia show, and summer reruns are something we all grew up with. So, but we are running a very, very special encore presentation this week, and that's a show from way back in 2016, which was kind of a turning point show for us, certainly a turning point booking We've talked a lot about how the show was, how it began as a lark, really, for Gilbert and for me. We did the early shows at his kitchen table, mostly phone interviews. We had no idea what we were doing, of course. But when we booked this guest, which was a dream booking, um, it suddenly became apparent to us what we had on our hands, and that was a an oral history of show business in the 20th century. That guest was the legendary Dick Van Dyke. And with Dick being recently honored just a few weeks ago by the Kennedy Center, we thought this was the perfect time to revisit this classic episode. So uh, I also have to add, I don't think I've ever seen Gilbert more excited about meeting a guest. He was actually starstruck, which he admits. Um, Gilbert was at Dick's house in L.A. I was on the Skype back in New York. Luckily for me, I had met Dick before, and the guy is a total charmer. So... Uh, We will thank Dick's wife, Arlene, who helped make this show possible, as well as our friends, Scott and Lisa Land, who also played a role in it. And we'll thank Dick himself, who is 95 and going strong. Bless his heart. So, enjoy this summer encore episode with the great Dick Van Dyke. And happy Independence Day to all our fans. Enjoy. This is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast, and I'm not here, but uh, connected by Skype with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. We're thrilled when we're lucky enough to book a guest who was on our original want list. This is true, and this week's guest was at the top of that list. He's a celebrated actor, comedian, writer, singer, dancer, and a bona fide showbiz legend who has appeared in popular films such as Bye Bye Birdie, Cold Turkey, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Night at the Museum, and of course, Mary Poppins. For five seasons, he starred in one of the most admired and influential television shows in history, The Dick Van Dyke Show, and then years later, Diagnosis Murder. He's the recipient of five Emmys, a 
Tony Award, a Grammy, and a Screen Actors Guild Life Achievement Award. He's also a member of the Television Hall of Fame and has been recognized as a Disney legend. I'm so excited to be with here. I may pee on myself. Please welcome Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> I'm very impressed. With, what, a, what a resume that is. <laughs> now... Now, I, I I had some stuff prepared to ask you, but then we started, we got into a conversation, and you were friends with the actor and comedian Orson Bean. Yes. Now, yeah. please, please. Oh, you want to hear that? <laughs> Sorry for us. Orson and I go back to the 50s when both of us were hanging around New York, kind of out of work, and we would go to the Modern Museum, and down the basement they ran old silent films. Yes. And we go to Central Park. Well, we go to the Central Park Zoo every day. There was a chimp in there who had to weigh 150 pounds, <laughs> a big old gray chimp who laid on a, on a kind of a bunk up there, smoked a big black cigar, and masturbated constantly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he would do it. If he had an audience, he would do it. I kind of envied him. He must have passed on that chimp, but Orson remembers it. <laughs> we go every day. So you, Isn't it great? You, you would go every day with Austin B. Yeah, to just to watch, watch that chimp. Masturbate. <laughs> I can't imagine anything I'd rather watch. Oh, every day it brought tears to my eye. I couldn't stand it. <laughs> I worked with a chimp in a movie who was about the same size, a very talented guy, Dinky. So I'm, I'm, I know my chimps. <laughs> that was the, the Robin Crusoe movie, Dick. That's right. Dinky was his name. He was weighed about 130 pounds, 10 years old, and could remember like 10 things in a row. In a scene, he would remember everything. He could play cards, and if he went up and forgot his lines, he'd start going, ooh, and pee. Pee his pants. That was... <laughs> Very dedicated actor, he <laughs> So basically, he had more talent than me. <laughs> now, you you told a story in your book, uh, Keep Moving. Yeah. Uh, that years ago, I guess you were doing Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, maybe, yeah. and you hurt yourself. Well, I, I yeah. pulled a muscle in the leg, yes. yeah. Yeah. And then you went to a doctor, and he gave you this horrible... That's right. Yeah. He looked at my x-rays. He said, do you know that you're riddled with arthritis from head to foot? I didn't know it. I was 40... What was I? 42 or 3. So apparently I had been all those years, but I didn't know it. And that's what got me moving. And I'm still riddled with arthritis. <laughs> that doesn't bother me that much. The thing is, I keep moving and keep stretching, and it doesn't hurt and and I heard uh, you said in the doctor's office because you were hit with this shocking horrible oh, yeah. news. He said, you know, in five to seven years you'll be at least on a walker, if not on a wheelchair. Five to seven years. And you said you got up and danced in his <laughs> office. Yeah. That was fifty years ago, and I'm I'm still dancing. Oh wow! So yeah, it, it doesn't have to take you down. Yeah, because, I mean, all over the Internet, there is, like, this footage of you, like, 
dancing in clothing stores. My my and, wife grabs. Oh them. yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm in Sears and Roebuck, <laughs> Ralph's Market, <laughs> wherever they're playing music. And it, it looks like it's special effects the way you're dancing. <laughs> now, how how did you start out in show business? I was doing what they call karaoke. Now, we were a record act. They were, all, they were all over Los Angeles, 1947. My buddy and I drove out here in his old Chevy, had a box of 78 records, and we played clubs all over town. Was this the Merry the, the Mary Mutes? Yeah. Yeah. The Mary, that was, what a name. Yeah. Yeah, we, we had quite a following around town. It was a very popular thing. Jerry Lewis started. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jerry did it. Pantomime. Yeah, and that's how I got in show. It was going to be a lark, and we were going to go home and do something serious. But one thing led to another. I never got out of the business, thank God. And then you got further into show business after you were in the Army. Yeah, a kind of cowardice. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was in pilot training, and the war was almost over, so they just canceled the pilot training program, and they called us all in and said, some of you will be going overseas as tail gunners on B-25s. The rest of you will be assigned according to your abilities. And I went right into dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Yeah, I started singing and dancing, I swear to God. And I got in a special services group. It saved my life. Dick, and, but go you, ahead, Gil. Oh, no, you never were at, ever at formal training. No, at nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yes, I tell kids today, I was in my 30s before I got a job singing and dancing. And my God, I loved it. If I had had any sense, then I would have said, well, I better... You know, study dancing a little and take some vocal. No, I didn't do anything. I just did it for the fun of it, and I never worked on it. That's not a way, good way to do it. Although, I, watching you sing and dance like an untrained singer and dancer, it's kind of like, like Jimmy Durante. Jimmy <laughs> Durante by no means is a great singer, but you love listening to him. That's right, yeah. And you're like one of those people, like... You know, maybe there are better dancers and singers, oh, yeah. but when you watch you, you know, it's it's a guy having a great time, it looks that's, like. That's the secret. If I'm having fun, it's fairly entertaining. If I'm not, I stink. <laughs> if, I, if I don't like what I'm doing, if I don't think it's funny, I can't make it funny if it's not funny yeah. to me. But, yeah, your dancing was always, like, contagious. You know, it just <laughs> looks like fun. I was a... I was a, a uh, Ray Bolger. I was a Ray oh, Bolger yeah. fan. I always wanted to be that that guy, that the scarecrow. Oh yeah. As a matter of fact, my very young wife once said, "What would you have liked to?" I said, "Would I like to be that scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz?" She said, "Did you try out for it?" <laughs> <laughs> I was twelve years old. <laughs> Is that why you call yourself a fake dancer, Dick? Because you never had any formal training? That's right. I'm a total fake. I'm, a, but I'm a good one. I'm a very good fan. fake singer, fake actor. <laughs> You've done okay. So are you equipped to do anything in the business? That's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> With my heart in my mouth. I've, I've done, you know, when you go for a job, they say, can you do it? You say, of course I can do it. That's what I did and got away with it. And you were telling me, I mean, this is, how, how old are you now? I just turned 90 last month. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> I appeared in the stage version of Mary Poppins when it came out here as the old banker. And this time, I didn't need any makeup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
would. I don't feel 90. It's funny. I think it's all in your head. Yeah. 13 emotionally, probably. But I just don't feel it. Yeah, I mean, when, when you came out, I mean, first, uh, I, and I think another secret to you having so much energy is you have this attractive, much younger wife. Yeah, yeah. that has a lot to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, she booked this podcast. She's, she's yeah, the one behind everything. Yes, thank you, Arlene. Your whole attitude and everything about you is young. Well, all my friends my age are dead, so I have, <laughs> I have young, young friends. <laughs> we should Incidentally, point- you have a, also a beautiful wife. I just saw her on there. He does. Gorgeous. See, you're you're a you're a dog. <laughs> <laughs> I have a good eye. <laughs> hey, since we're talking about Dick's birthday, we should also point out that you just you just turned ninety, and there's some wonderful video online of you singing. There's a flash mob at the Grove in L.A. Oh, yeah. Tell us what happened. I went out on my birthday. Disney had me out of Disneyland. Yeah, and I had a parade. We got to sing for them, and, and my wife again. Put, all, put it all together. But it was the cherry. I, I, I'll have to retire. I can't top it. It was the cherry on. It was the best day of my life. Just God, what a good time. And you were saying you have uh, a son who's 65. Turns is going to be 66 in May, yeah. And at the moment, he is in the Chile, Chilean Andes on a bicycle riding a 1,500 miles through the through the Andes Mountains. So this like runs in the family. I guess. So. Yeah, I wouldn't do that at any age. Now, I, what I want to know is when you have a, a son who's sixty five, do you still look upon it as your little boy? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. To, to me, they never grew up. I said, you can't be sixty five because I'm sixty. <laughs> <laughs> and the other ones, I have two daughters, all of them into their middle age now, and I've got great grandkids. Which I... Oh, jeez. Yeah, a lot of them. That'll be you one day soon, Gil. <laughs> I want to ask Dick about that painting behind him of Buster Keaton. Is that a painting I'm looking at? Uh, yeah, there's a Buster Keaton and a Stan Laurel. And Stan Laurel. The, a friend of mine painted that. I had a little a Polaroid of Stan sitting backstage in Birmingham, England. He and Ollie went uh, on a, you know, a tour there. And a friend of mine took it and made that great painting. You know, I, I have the the blow, bow tie that Stan left me. I was going to get the derby, and the derby disappeared oh. after the funeral. We haven't seen it since. Somebody's got it. Now, tell us the story about how you got in touch with Stan Laurel. I was looking up a phone number one day, and I just came across, it said Stan Laurel. And I thought, it can't be. And I called him up, and it was Stan Laurel. Yeah. <laughs> and he seen our show, and I went to visit him that Sunday and uh, went over there a lot. And, you know, a lot of comedians made that pilgrimage to his house. Danny Kay, Jerry Lewis, all of us went and and, uh, talked to Stan. Wonderful guy. And I think you said to him uh, that you you admitted you stole a lot from him. (laughs) I said that on the phone. Yeah. I said, you know, I stole a lot of your... He said, yes, I know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Imitation is the sincerest form. Now, he did, was a great guy. Did he ever give you any kind of advice as far as comedy and performing? No, he didn't. I, I asked him a million questions. You know, at one point on the old Dick Van Dyke show, we did a Laurel and Hardy sketch, and I asked him to come down 
and you'll be technical advisor. And he had had a slight stroke, which nobody noticed, but he wouldn't come down. So after the show was on the air, I called him and said, what did you think? He gave me like 45 minutes of notes. Oh, jeez. I said, now you tell me. <laughs> he, he had cufflinks of, uh, that were paper clips. He, he had taken the heels off his shoes to give him that stance and that walk and a whole lot of things that he could have told me before the show. <laughs> and, and how did he, you know, you always hear about these teams like Abin and Costello, Martin and Lewis, who sounded like they hated each other. Yeah. How did he and Ollie get along, Oliver Hardy? Great. Absolutely great. He thought Ollie was the funniest man he'd ever seen. He, he, they got along great. Stan did all the writing, all the directing, and Ollie liked to play golf, and he liked to be out by four. So whenever the, uh, Stan wanted to do that slow burn to the camera, you know, the <laughs> he waited until then and told him, you can't play golf for a while. And then they get all the close-ups when he was really pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God. That's like real method acting. Oh, yes, it yes. is. Yeah. <laughs> he got it out of him. You know, he still had a little portable typewriter. He sat and wrote sketches for he and Ollie every day. He had boxes full of sketches he wrote for, for SNL. Yeah. SNL, rather. But nobody ever found them. Would I love to have those Oh, script, my you know? God, yeah. yeah. You're the third guest we've had, Dick, that, that looked Stan Laurel up in the phone book. Tom Is Leop- that right? Tom Leopold, who's a comedy writer that we had on the show, and your friend Chuck McCann, I think, looked Stan up in the phone book. Chuck McCann does the best Stan Laurel impression of anybody. Yeah. Oh, Ollie, you mean. And he also does Ollie. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Right. And I think you're, I don't know, guess maybe five or six who knew Buster Keaton. That's yes. right. Yes. I got to meet Buster. He lived out in uh, Thousand Oaks in a little, like a quarter of an acre. Oh, he was very shy. Very shy. I went one Sunday afternoon sitting with his wife, Eleanor, and he kept walking around outside looking in the windows. And I said, you know, is he coming in? He said, he'll be here. Finally, he comes in. He's got his hat on and a ukulele. And he's saying, oh, Mr. Don't, don't, Caroline, the moon, won't you shine a light on? He sang a song for me. <laughs> and he, we were in the kitchen. I, of course, had a million questions. I said, you remember when you put your foot up on a table? Then you put the other foot on the table and hung there for a moment before you fell. And he, he did it for me in the kitchen. He must have been 65 years old. He did that fall. And it, it's interesting, like, his way of communicating with you was by performing. Yeah, he would, didn't have a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> Out in the back of his yard, he had a little picnic table, and along the fence, a, a railroad track. You had to sit at the table. He would make the hot dogs, put them in a little toy train, and toot toot and the, deliver the hot dogs. <laughs> That's great. That's, that was Buster Keaton. He had a... a, a uh, what am I saying? Handmade pool cue with his name on it, which he gave me. I have that memento from him. Now, I wanted the hat, but he was buried with it. <laughs> <laughs> but he was. I heard you interviewed about Buster, uh, Dick. You said he broke every bone in his body at various points. Is that true? Exactly. Yeah. In the in the uh, what was the train with the uh, great the general? He yeah. He broke his neck and kept yeah. working that day. He said at one time or another he broke every bone in his body. Amazing. I heard that his parents, when he was little, they built a harness. That's right. With a handle on it and just threw him around the stage. <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, they'd be in jail. Oh, this. yeah. 
And I heard that it were, uh, Houdini uh, saw them and said to the father, he said, you should call that kid Buster. No, is Houdini yeah. given the name? Yeah. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> yeah, that's the story. We never heard from Houdini, did we? <laughs> he gave him the name, my God. Now, was Buster angry toward the end of his life? I, he didn't seem to be. He had had a, a real drinking problem for a while. No, he was... Uh, I don't think he was angry. I think Stan didn't show it, but, you know, his name, the Laurel, name Laurel and Hardy was taken away. They had nothing. They, they owned nothing. Not their movies, not the rights to them, or the name. The, the clown, Larry Harmon. Yeah. Somehow, for $500, bought the name Laurel and Hardy. He couldn't even use it. So he had no residuals, no... No part of anything. You know, when they closed down the Hal Road Studios, they let me loose in, in the uh, prop department and in the yeah. picture department. I couldn't find any props, but I came out of there with hundreds of great pictures of Laurel and Wow. Hardy. Yeah. As long as we're talking about Buster, I just wanted to ask Dick about the comic, the film that, that you and Carl Reiner made together. Oh, the comic, yeah. You, you saw it? Very few people saw it. Yeah, I think me and Frank are the only two people who saw it. <laughs> I don't true. even know if you saw it. <laughs> yeah, it's not on DVD, and it's hard to find. Is it very hard to find. It was based on, you know, loosely on several of those guys. On Harold Lloyd up, and other know, guys? Like Buster did in his old age, was still appearing on television. Mm-hmm. But he was a turd. He was an, an ass. You know, he was not a, happy, yeah. not a nice guy. Yeah, it's you're you're shown as like this angry guy cheating on his wife and, <laughs> yeah. and everything. Yeah. And at the end, he's walking through Sardis as an old man, and saying hi. And they're saying your flies open, your flies. Open. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was and, just a, a joke we put in at the last minute, which a lot of that movie was. And Mickey Rooney was in that. Great. Who did Mickey Rooney play? He ben was, Turpin. Yes. Ben Turpin, the cockeye. Yes. Yeah. Right, That's right, what we right. called him, cockeye. Yeah, because I remember Mickey Rooney going, you know, the minute they stopped laughing at this, that's when the world started killing each other. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> that, <laughs> his sinuses ran constantly from that, that eye. bothered him so badly. And I kept saying, he's funnier than I am because he's short. You know, I'm too tall to be funny. Which is Carl Reiner's line. But it's true. All those guys were short. And I remember that um, there was one part of the movie, and this really struck me, uh, where you do a pratfall. And and it's supposed to be that now you're older. Yeah. And you do the pratfall, and everyone goes, ooh. And, <laughs> and then they get worried. <laughs> oh, that, well, then we do a 180, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I worked with uh, Mickey again, you know, in the Night of the Museum. Oh, my God, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, right, sure. I, I would urge our listeners to try to find that film. I mean, it's on it's on VHS, It's but it's, you know, it's not uh, it's not available on DVD, the comic. And it's, it's a shame. I was proud of it because I thought it was really authentic about those times. We shot a lot of uh, black and white footage, which was never used. Yeah. Just went out in the car and I chased fire engines. We <laughs> did <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, uh, you are you are not the original choice, oddly enough, for the Dick Van Dyke show. No, well, Carl Reiner was the original. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and Sheldon Leonard said the script is good, just get a better actor. <laughs> so the, the story is that 
Johnny Carson was up for it, but I don't think he was ever even considered. He, uh, he, his name came up, but I, I got in there fast. Yeah, Cole Reiner wrote it about himself. Right. He's a, he's a comedy writer, and he's got a wife and kids, and, but they, that didn't work. Him well, did you ever himself. see that pilot? No. It, no. It, it I've, I've seen Carl, it. Yeah. Carl, I've seen not, it. He plays an overly nervous kind of angst-ridden guy. And it's, yeah. It, it isn't right. No, it's interesting to see Morty Gunty in the Buddy Sorrell part, though. Morty Gunty. You would have been right. great in that. In oh. that role, yeah. Oh, thank in, you. In, in, in Morty's role, wouldn't you? The, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Wow, thank yeah. you. Yeah. A- absolutely. Which brings us to Maury Amsterdam. Tell us about Maury Amsterdam. He was one of the sweetest guys in the world. And he and Rosemary, I learned timing from. Both of them had razor-sharp timing. Rosie was so good. Maury, we wrote a words to our uh, to our song. Oh, oh, yes. Can you please sing that? I'd be happy to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let her rip, Dick. They were never published. And, but uh, we sing in my quartet. So it goes, so you think that you've got trouble? Well, trouble's a bubble. So tell old Mr. Trouble to get lost. Why not hold your head up high and stop crying, start trying, and don't forget to keep your fingers crossed. When you find the joy of living is loving and giving, you'll be there when the winning dice are tossed. A smile is just a frown that's turned upside down. So smile on that crown, that frown will defrost. And don't forget to take your fingers. And I fall over the... I don't do that part to him. Ah, wow. He wrote that. Nice work. So did did he make... Was this one of those deals where he made money every time it got played or they didn't have... I think he wrote... uh, what about, about Mexico? Drum and Coca Cola go down upon Kumana, both mother and daughter. He wrote that. It was a big hit. Wow. And Yucca Puck. Is that an Andrew song? Oh, oh, yes. Yucca Puck. He would sing in between his jokes. <laughs> Can right. you sing some of Yucca Puck? <laughs> he was probably the richest man in America. Nobody knew it. Yeah. He owned a parking garage on 57th Street in New York, constantly on the phone with his broker. <laughs> But what a nice man. Yeah, because, I mean, he would tell, like, dumb jokes, funny dumb jokes, oh, like yeah. the kind of Henny Youngman. Well, he had a Rolodex in his head of, of jokes. He could. He started out warming up the audience. But unfortunately, if he saw somebody you know, of a minority group, <laughs> those jokes would, pop, you know, that would <laughs> go through. To, and sometimes it just... <laughs> You know, Chinese jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was also <clears throat> a real artist on that on the cello. He really could play beautifully. He never did. Because yeah, I remember on the cello, he'd start singing Yucca Puck. Right. Which was, were the there man. other words to Yucca Puck? Yucca Puck? Yuck, I don't think so. I think that was it. <laughs> <laughs> We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey, Dick, when, she- when, uh, when Sheldon Leonard had to tell Carl that he was wrong for the, for the pilot that he'd written for himself, was it Sheldon that had seen you in Bye Bye Birdie and knew that you were the guy, or was it Carl? Uh, I, uh, both of them, I think, came. I didn't mm-hmm. even know they were there. <clears throat> but Carl had seen me in Bye Bye Birdie. And uh, I got a week off and came out and did the pilot. I had had uh, a script of my own I was peddling, uh, kind of a 
a Jacques Tati thing about a guy on a scooter in Europe. A lot of physical comedy. Yeah. And Carl sent me about eight scripts, and I just threw mine out the window writing. You know, he wrote the first series, all 39 shows himself. Wow. Before he ever called in anybody. Yeah, tell us about Carl Reiner. Uh, he's a genius. Well, my favorite human in the world. He, he sat down, he wrote 39 episodes. For the, and we used to do that many every year. You know, it's, now it's 20. And then he called in uh, Billy Persky and Sam Denoff. And they, and they got some other, and uh, Gary Marshall, g- wonderful writer. But he and was, Jerry Belson. And Jerry, yeah. Belson, yeah, Marshall and Belson. Right. My God, it was a great team of writers. And you've remained friends with Carl Reiner for all these years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I go by and see him every once in a while. <clears throat> He's still writing. He wow. just sits at that typewriter and turns out books. Still, he and, and Mel Brooks, of course, are still very close. And both of them, you know, are up in years, but as sharp as ever. And and because I was reading your book, Keep Moving. <laughs> get that plug in there. And, <laughs> you got to get and, the plug in. And I... I actually, there was one part where you talk about, like, your long life and all the historical events oh, yeah. that happened, and you rate them like a teacher. <laughs> like, one gets an A, another gets an F. And there there was one part, I was reading it on a plane, and I laughed out loud. <laughs> you said, uh, 1925, Mein Kampf, written by Adolf Hitler, is published, haven't read it, don't plan to. <laughs> <laughs> that was the year I was born, 1925. The Empire State Building started in 20... I'm as old as the Empire State Building. Oh, it wow. It looks a little better than I do. <laughs> so you still... I loved your joke. You said that Hitler's son was... <laughs> what, what, arrested for child oh, molestation. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I said that... Uh, it, it's, I read somewhere that... That Hitler had a grandson who was a convicted child molester. Imagine being the embarrassment to the Hitler family. <laughs> that great. Imagine, imagine being the Hitler who the other Hitlers don't talk about. Yes. <laughs> what a great concept. I, I gotta, I gotta tell you, when, when, when I heard that. Uh, Dick Van Dyke wanted to do my show. My first thought was, "Oh no, he's senile. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's totally lost it." <laughs> I told you earlier the line that I remembered that yes. he did from years ago. So, do you think back in the 1400s people walked around saying, "Boy, this is a long time ago"? <laughs> this, uh, yeah. So that's, this, that's a great this... Stephen Wright couldn't think of that. This, to me, uh, is something I can't believe. So you actually are familiar. You've seen me on TV and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. I've never seen you live, though, in a no. club, right? No. You still work clubs at all? Oh, yeah. Well. Yeah, I'll be working when I'm out here. And uh, But that that amazes me. Why? That, I, I yeah. love comedy. And you're one of the experts. Oh, geez. I like to watch. Who, yeah, just, who's our friend... Uh, Bodie Stevens, you know him? He, his act is about dying on stage. <laughs> Work with me, people. <laughs> Very funny guy. And, oh, you told another funny story. You said when you, Carl, and Mel Brooks have been friends for years, 
And one time during one of your visits to Sid Caesar, you and Mel were walking out. Oh, yeah, it was always uh, all of his friends. Uh, Sid, you know, wasn't couldn't really communicate. He was in a wheelchair. But we'd go and all keep him company. So I think my wife and I were the only Gentiles there. And we were leaving, Mel said, you seem to like the company of Jews. <laughs> Everybody would have to tell a joke, and I, I would be doing them. I would tell Gentile jokes. You know, the only guy. <clears throat> now, and you, you were saying your brother Jerry, who um, now he he did a show. That was one of those strangest shows. My mother oh, yeah. of the car. Yes. Could you tell yeah. us the premise of that show, please? I don't know what the premise was. It was a he had an old <laughs> uh, Model A or something, and yeah, something somehow like his that. mother communicated with him yeah. from the grave through that car. Voice by Ann Southern. Yeah, his his mother died and was like somehow came back as a car. As a car. Which. Sounds like the the worst idea in the history well, of he, television. He keeps telling people that he was offered Gilligan's Island yeah. and this one, and then I told him to take that one. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> but he blames me for that show. How's he doing, Dick? How's Jerry doing? Uh, not not too well. Uh, he was in an auto accident and is down in Arkansas. I think he's hospitalized oh. right now. I haven't heard... I don't know how well he is, but he's he's doing okay. Very funny man. And oh, he, he, I was telling Gilbert, he has a, a funny bone. He's funny inside. He can't help it. He doesn't need material. He's just funny. Lo- loved him on the Van Dyke show as the sleepwalker. Yeah. Now, that, in that was real true. life. Yep. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, he was a real sleepwalker when he was a kid. He would, he'd leave the house and wander around town. <laughs> Almost got thrown out of the army, but he finally got over it. But I, anything you mentioned to Carl that happened in your life, he would make a script of <laughs> An awful lot of the shows were based on true stories. And I heard one time you had to stop him. He was going to leave the house naked, sleepwalking. He, he had my dad's golf clubs on his shoulder. Starting, and he was, I said, where are you going? I'm going to play golf. But he got to the place odd that he knew he was sleepwalking. And he could tell you. He, he was... Clear across town one in his pajamas, knocked on somebody's door and just said, I'm sleepwalking. Could you call my parents to come and get me? Isn't that odd? That's wow. how you can split your brain like that. Wow. Very strange. Yeah. Got to ask you about the Van Dyke show as long as we're talking about it. Now, what you Sheldon had seen you in Bye Bye Birdie. Carl had seen you in Bye Bye Birdie. Right. They give you the lead part. And then the search is on to find your wife, to find the Laura character. And they, they, it, they auditioned a lot of actresses, didn't they? That's right. And, uh, uh, Including Eileen Brennan. I, I just... Carl keeps saying when she read, she had a, a ping. He said, a ping in her voice, which she did have. And that was it. Mm-hmm. He grabbed her by the skull and took her into, into the shelter and said, I found her. I was a little worried because she was 12 years younger than I. And she right. had a kind of, at that time, uh, Catherine Hepburn, kind of a, a mid-Atlantic accent. But boy, in about three shows, she picked it up and was off to the races. Well, all the more impressive because she'd never done comedy before, really. Never had done comedy. And you you trained yourself to do pratfalls. Well, I watched Buster Keaton through <laughs> yeah. my entire childhood. 
Well, all these guys, Buster Keaton, Stan Laurel, oh, yeah. Charlie Chaplin. A lot of good fallers. You know who didn't know how to fall was Chevy Chase. He, he hurt himself a lot. I mean, he, he, Chevy never tucked and rolled or anything. He would just throw himself in the ground. And, and, and paying for it. You, you saw, yeah. I mean, you knew certain, there were certain things you had to do. Right. To do a practice. Yeah. I would practice in the backyard. That's why Carl let me do all the physical stuff I wanted. He would just say, five minutes here would be. <laughs> <laughs> now, didn't you call Saturday Night Live? I think someone said you called to warn them to tell someone that Chevy. Oh, about Chevy? Yes. I don't think I ever called, but I did try to get in touch with him. And say he did. He hurt himself finally. He's got a bad back to this day. He'd, when he does his general, he would fall off ladders. Just He'd fall down uh, stairs and yes. roll down. And- Speaking of that, Tim Conway. Oh, yes. He did a pantomime of a man falling upstairs, up the stairs in slow motion. I'm I'm looking for a, a clip of it. It's one of the most phenomenal things in mime I've ever seen. He well, fell. Maybe Bill Persky has it. He might. He fell we'll up the stairs. We'll try to find it. We'll try to find it for you. <laughs> and and speaking of, that, that gets us to, for a while, you were working with Carol Burnett. Yes. And I guess you were in this uncomfortable position there. Because everybody was going like, where's Harvey Corman? Of course. I mean, nobody can replace Harvey Corman. And I wasn't supposed to replace him, but the show wasn't the same without him. You know, I, didn't, I didn't belong in that thing. But Harvey could do a million characters. You know, I'm like Jimmy Stewart. I do me. <laughs> <laughs> but Carol and I worked together in the 50s in New York on a show called Mike Stokey's Pantomime Quiz, where we did... Uh, Played charades, teams. And we had Howie Morris, me, Carol, and somebody else. We never were beaten. We had all kinds of secret little <laughs> signals. <laughs> 200 bucks a week, it was paying the groceries back then. Wow. Now, also, I, uh, you, you were on a show. I remember it vaguely, but I remember watching it thinking, oh, this is a show I think I'd enjoy watching every week. And that was Van Dyke and Company. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bob Einstein. Yeah. 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 I think the time for, for uh, variety shows was kind of over. We ran for 12 shows and won an Emmy. <laughs> but they, and introduced the world to Andy Kaufman. That's right. We, we brought Andy Kaufman on. Right. He was, we, we'd wait until we were in the middle of a production number. Or something big, and Andy would walk on and interrupt us and take over the show. <laughs> a lot of people did not understand Andy. You know, the writers looked at him and just walked out. This isn't funny. A few people started on that show. I forget some of the names, but I think there were a couple of comics. I'm, I Yeah, who else? And you, oh, you told a story where you were going to meet the Queen of England. Yes. Yes. And so it's like a long line of people. and Oh, yeah. The, uh, I, I was the last one in line. Sean Connery was next to me and a line of people. And you're told, you know, don't speak unless she says something to you. Bow. And as they were coming to me behind this plush rope over there, Jerry Lewis is standing. <laughs> 
And just as she's finishing with Sean and turning to me, he says, Hey, Dick! And I said, What? <laughs> I turn around, What? And, and I turned back, and there's the queen. <laughs> I've always intended to get him. Hilarious. I've got to nail him for that. Dirty. I just want to ask you a couple other questions about the, the, the Van Dyke show, Dick, before we move past it. You know, and I don't think people know, I don't think too many people know that the show was actually canceled early in the run. The first year, yeah. Yeah. And that, was it Sheldon and Danny Thomas who went directly to Procter & Gamble? It was uh, Sheldon, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we reran in the summer when we didn't have much competition. We picked up an audience during the summer. Oh, my God. It was one of those... I had just bought a house, moved my family to California. Now what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. Now, and in second, then the show caught fire. Oh, boy, sure did. And, and I, I heard, well, I mean, it's, it was very famous. Censors were extra powerful back then. Yeah. What, you know, everything was dirty. <laughs> I know it. And I, I'm now now. Uh, Mary used to wear those. I think they were called capri, capri pants. Yes. Yeah, you bet. Which was like porn <laughs> back then. <laughs> you bet. Every guy remembers her in yeah. those capri pants. Well, you know, she had to let them out a little. The network said they were just a little too tight. Oh wow! I'm not kidding. And I heard they came up with a term that there was um, under. Cupping, yeah, under too much undercupping. That's exactly. <laughs> Can you believe that today? Well, we were in twin beds because we were not allowed to be in the same bed in those days. Yeah, that it, it, all of those um, TV shows, you'd have a married couple who had kids sleeping in but, twin beds. Yeah, yeah, but they never slept in the same bed. Hey, the first one was. Bob Newhart got yeah. to, he got to sleep in but the same bed. But you want to know so, something? I, I called him up and said, how did you do yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> With Suzanne Pochette. I have a feeling, before Bob Newhart, I think the Munsters, oh, well, like like Herman and Lily slept in yeah, the same right, bed. Bill. Well, they're monsters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't count. <laughs> but, you know, we were not allowed to say the word pregnant. Yeah. We did a whole show about her pregnancy, and the word pregnant was not allowed on the air. And I, I also heard there was a, a big uh, <laughs> traumatic incident. Call Reiner's son, Rob Reiner. Who would I was just going to ask you about yeah, that, Yeah, he'd become meathead <laughs> and, and a, yeah. a very gifted director. He once, <laughs> he once grabbed Mary's ass. Yes, he did. He was about 15. He and Albert Brooks and I think, uh, uh, who was the third guy? Yeah, but he, he actually, he couldn't help himself. <laughs> Mary wasn't up. She didn't take umbrage. And, and but you know what? We got a lot of shows on uh, about race that we ran up against the network on. Yes. Uh, and Carl would insist. We used to put red herrings really objectionable material in there we would fight the network tooth and nail and they well all right we take it out but we just planted it so we'd have something to con- for them to concentrate on yeah with the one where we did yeah, we mixed should, up babies yeah uh, bill our friend bill persky and sam Demo- denoff's episode exactly oh, that's 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 and, my boy and, oh just getting back to 
getting back to Mary's ass. <laughs> <laughs> I knew he was going back. <laughs> I heard eventually Mary complained to Carl about his his son, Rob, grabbing her ass. And Carl was trying to reprimand him, but started cracking up laughing. <laughs> I didn't know that she did. She actually complain about I, it? I guess so. I, I never touched her personally. <laughs> Did you want to? Of course. <laughs> Everybody in the country wanted. <laughs> now, was there ever anything between you? Not physically, but like an attraction? Well, as I, I say in the book, yeah, we had a crush on each other. Yeah, we really did. It was like high school crush. Well, and Carl, Carl wanted you to, to appear like a couple that, was, that had a sex life, didn't he? Well, uh, most of the audience thought we were married in real life, which was a real... Right, right. A real... Uh, tribute. Everybody thought we were really married, so I, I, we became like an improv group. She could read my mind, and I could read hers. We knew what we were doing. It's just that when that timing fell in, it was—I've never had so much fun. I'd be doing it today I, if it let me. <laughs> I've, I've actually heard you say when you talk about Gilbert and I talk a lot about the new Dick Van Dyke show, the one that you did in Arizona yeah. with Hope Lang. And I've, I've heard you say that you think that maybe one of the problems with that show is that people perceived you to be cheating on, on Laura. Oh, yeah. I've, a lady hit me with her purse in a, in a market. <laughs> you left that sweet Laura and gave me a smack. Uh, that was really stupid. <laughs> there was about five or six episodes that I did alone, just by myself, that I'd like to have. They were kind of classic mimes, you know. I did about five of them. I canceled that show myself. And and you did a TV movie where you played an alcoholic. Yeah. Which was a very powerful performance. Well, I had done about 20 years worth of research. <laughs> <laughs> and the director was so good, he didn't. He said, you know what the story is. You just do it. And that movie has been shown in rehab centers. I, somebody keeps telling me they come out of rehab. They show that movie. Because it doesn't end well. Yeah. And it kind of scares people. It's it's kind of, I kind of like that because I was scared they'd have to push in a happy ending. Yeah. At we the, had the, uh, the the council on alcoholism in, in Washington wanted us to uh, do a happy ending. And it wouldn't have worked. No. It had to have that ending. Now, <clears throat> so you were an alcoholic for like 25 years. Oh, yeah. But I drank at home, so nobody knew it. Yeah. <laughs> but you you never drank when you were working. No, no, never. No, in the evening. <clears throat> it started because I was uh, re- uh, shy, you know. And I found if I had a drink or two, I relaxed and became sociable. But it got out of hand without my really realizing it. So how did it affect your life and career? Did it have any... Actually, no, I don't, I don't think it really did. As far as my life is concerned, what happens with an alcoholic? You go from being a happy drunk to uh, kind of a depressed, argumentative. You know, and everything was an argument to me. And I realized I was going through a personality change caused by the alcohol. And that's what really scared me and got me off it. So it, it, that, that whole happy feeling went away. Yeah, yeah the and then fun. It, it begins to depress you, and you need more, uh, more and more to feel to get the feeling you want. You know that click or whatever they call it. 
So um, that's my story. So was there one day where you said, I mean, it was a combination of bad things, probably. Yeah, yeah. And then I, uh, I went to rehab and all that kind of thing, AA. For me, it didn't work. It worked for a lot of people. For me, it just kind of went away. I drank one, one day and I tasted funny. I was a little dizzy and nothing happened. And it just faded away from me. I was so lucky. And most people have to go through a lot. Yeah, and you've been away. You've been uh, sober ever since. Oh God, yeah. And I quitting smoking. That, oh, yeah. Another. Tell us about that. Well, I mean, I've had heroin addicts tell me that it's nothing like quitting smoking. It's the worst. Did you ever smoke? No. Oh, good. It is so hard. I tried everything. I went to Schick where the treatment was aversion therapy. They put you in a phone booth sized room with a big wash bucket full of sand. Smoke an entire pack of cigarettes as fast as you can. So you get dizzy and you salivate. I smoked an entire pack of cigarettes. I walked out and said, boy, what an ordeal. And I lit a cigarette. Oh, my so God. They gave me my money back and said, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, it's tough. It's really hard. Now, 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 do you you chew gum? And I chew gum. Yeah, uh, Nicorette gum. Yeah, yeah. I'm addicted to it, but it doesn't affect my lungs. <laughs> so, so you went on to a, a gum addiction. Yeah. That was you, my wife will tell you I leave a trail. You can tell where I've been with rappers everywhere. Dick, can we ask you about some of the movies? Uh, not the bad ones, I hope. <laughs> Well, no, I, I just I want to ask you about the Bye Bye Birdie movie. Well, and I want to know if the, it was you had mixed feelings about making that movie. Yeah, I did. Uh, it, uh, you know, the, the the show on Broadway was a two hour romp. It was just a joy. They rewrote some of the songs and uh, just cha- and changed the story so much I couldn't understand why. It, it, they mm-hmm. kind of Hollywoodized it. You know, it was a great break for. Uh, I just went blank. <laughs> and Margaret. And Margaret, oh, yeah. yeah. Right, but right. her part on Broadway was rather small, so that threw it a little out, but made a star out of it. I wanted to ask Dick if that Paul Lynn story in your first book, I read your I read your first book, My Lucky Life, which is wonderful. Well, what was the story? The, the story about Paul Lynn, and Gilbert knows this story, that Paul Lynn got up and said, I'm the only one, in the, I'm the, only one on the movie that, that does, Gil, can you finish it? Oh, he, so Paul Lynn jumped up and said to Anne Margaret, I'm the only one here who doesn't want to fuck you. Oh, that was a night. <laughs> it was my first Hollywood party. <clears throat> I'm sorry I brought it up. <laughs> oh, that's, it, it did happen, yeah. And now, this was what was so weird about that time period, that the world watched Paul Lynn, and you accepted him as a married man with kids. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the only time he ever played one. But I've seen that show done, of course, a million times because all my friends' kids are doing it, and I have to go see it. He's the only one that ever carried off that part correctly. <laughs> it was written for him. So I don't know what, what is it, until I was through it. What do you go through in your teens? I can't think of the word. Puberty? Yeah. Puberty. I don't know what puberty was until I went through it. <laughs> He was the funniest drunk I know, too. Oh, yeah. I, I heard he, uh, as far as drinking went. Oh, he, he was. You know, he finally 
we became friends later in life. He stopped drinking and smoking and was so happy he was clean and had a massive heart attack and uh, passed away in his, before he was 60, I think. Wow. And he was so That's proud of sh- himself. Yeah. He got so clean. One of the funniest guys in the world. I guess he should have stayed drinking and smoking. <laughs> that could have yeah. been. Shock to his body. And when you made the movie What a Way to Go, uh, did, did that indirectly lead to Mary Poppins? Because I understand you were giving a magazine, you were giving an, an interview I, I, about I the film th- about the film What a Way to Go, and that it, it had kind of turned in a direction away from the, what what you what you had planned it to. The direction you wanted it to go in, and you wound up giving an interview about family films that Walt Disney saw. That's right. Oh yeah, is that? I didn't know that was the movie. Yeah, I said something about the dearth of good family entertainment, and right. that's why Walt called me. I thought it was because I was such a good singer and dancer. <laughs> now, are you allowed in England? After uh, Mary Poppins, you've got <laughs> you, you were have they they only talk about your Cockney accent. <laughs> Did you see the tweet? Uh, what, which but Judy Dench and Jeremy Irons, a bunch of really prestigious actors, were asked who did the worst British accent in the history of movies, and I won hands down. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dick. <laughs> So I said, well, it goes in and out. Yeah, it's an honor to be yeah. number one. Sometimes it's there and sometimes it disappears. I know. Film. I was working yeah. with an entire cast of British actors. Not one person ever said, you know, you ought to work on that. <laughs> Nobody ever said, not Julie? Now they tell me. I was so busy singing and dancing. <laughs> But the one person I remember actually sticking up for you in an interview was Anthony Hopkins. About my accent? Yeah, he said, he said he didn't care at all about the accent. He just thought you were great in the part. <laughs> I've always said, see, everybody thought it was Cockney. It was from a little shire up in the north of England that had been settled by people from Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now, can I can I ask you to do some of the Cockney accent? I don't remember any of the. Yeah, I I tried to write them back and say that might in front of boy I talk. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to do that. My some of those lines you couldn't say, like I was supposed to say the Lord Mayor. How do you say that in Cockney? Lord Lord Mayor. <laughs> I, I couldn't do it. I tried everything. Some things just don't fit. You got to have that glottal stop, you know. As a matter of fact, I was offered the part of uh, Fagin in the movie Oliver Twist, and I couldn't handle the Cockney accent, and I didn't do it. <laughs> That's good trivia. Ron, Ron Moody was pretty good. Yeah, but he can't dance. <laughs> right. That's right. A, and we're going to make right. a musical. The, the right. choreographer had already gone to London and designed all the dance steps for me. But the uh, director just said, nope. And, and the guy who who uh, helped you with your Cockney accent was... Was an Irishman. Yes. <laughs> Pat, Pat O'Malley, he came over to my house one evening <laughs> after dinner, and we ran through it, and that was it. That was the, my... Was that the, the famous character actor, J. Pat O'Malley? J. Pat O'Malley. Was, oh, he had a big career. He, Gil, oh, you know yeah. him. Yes, but yes. he wasn't a Cockney. Yeah, he was in everything. And I bought all, all the records, uh, you know, and they're no good. The, the T-shirt. Oh, yeah. Terrible. And and so I guess this was an Irishman's revenge against the English. 
I'll, I'll never understand why somebody didn't say something to me during that show. And you, I heard you every morning, every, you wake up singing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's really good for you. Yeah. And you don't, I don't sing very well, but I don't care. You know, I like to sing. <laughs> I've got a quartet, the three young guys, and I'm, it's the joy of my life, harmonizing. I sing in stores, in the bank. If it's got a good tile floor, I tap dance. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Usually my wife has got her phone out, and, I, and you know, I'm out on the web all the time. Hey, can we sing together? Oh, yeah. Because I have some of your lyrics written down. Uh, lyrics? Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. What are we singing? Let me... <laughs> <laughs> Podcasting history is about oh, to be made. okay. Okay, here. No pressure, Dick. Uh, this is... Uh, here, we're both putting on our glasses. This is like we're in a home. Okay, uh, put on a happy face. <clears throat> oh, you ready? Well, yes. You pick your key. I'll what? go with you. you, you yeah, he doesn't yeah, have a like key. I, I, you talk about an untrained singer. <laughs> Gray skies are going to clear up. Put on a happy face. Brush off, off the clouds and cheer up. Put, Put on, on a happy face. Take, Take off the gloomy, gloomy mask, mask of oh, tragedy. <laughs> it's not your style. You look you so look good, good that you'll, you'll, you'll be, be glad, glad you decided to smile. smile. Pick, Pick out, out a pleasant, pleasant outlook. Stick, Stick out, out that noble, noble chin. chin. Wipe, Wipe off, off the full, full of doubt look. Slap, slap on a happy grin. grin. And spread sunshine all over the place. Just put on a happy face. Gray skies are going to clear up. What, have you got another chorus? Yes, put on a happy face. Brush off the clouds and cheer up. Put on a happy face. Oh, and if you're feeling cross and bickerish, don't sit and whine. Think of banana splits and licorice, and, and you'll, you'll feel fine. I, I knew a girl, girl so gloomy, <laughs> she'd never laugh or sing. She wouldn't, wouldn't listen, listen to me. Now she's, she's a mean, a mean old, thing. old thing. So, so spread sunshine, sunshine all over the place. Just put on a happy face. face. Almost got harmony then. <laughs> I don't know who was worse. <laughs> that is pop history. Wow. Dick, I, I think I'm you a found bass. something I don't worse than your sing Cockney in that accent. <laughs> what? I think you just heard something worse than your Cockney. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. See, my, my singing is hated in all countries. <laughs> We're going to get a lot of mail on that. Yeah. <laughs> That probably never Dick, talk, work again. Talk, talk a little bit real quick about, about Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and uh, sort of another compromised experience for you. Uh, yeah, uh, compromising? No, I mean uh, a compromised experience, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. Well, I they offered it to me. I had turned it down a few times simply because it didn't have Walt Disney, you know, who is the genius behind all those great movies. But they got the... The Sherman Brothers, who wrote the score. The, Mark the and Edie Bro, who uh, 
did the choreography. So we, find, we finally ended up doing it. And uh, it turned out so much better than I thought. We had a great time doing it. I think Mary Poppins took three months to shoot. This took like two years. It took forever. Because <laughs> <laughs> the sun doesn't shine in England. So some of the scenes where we're driving the Chitty Bang Bang is in France. And they're vineyards. Obviously not England. We're driving around France pretending we're in England. <laughs> I've told this story the first day on the set of Chitty. I'm sitting in a makeup, and I see the director of motion to the makeup guy. And I hear him say, what are we going to do about the hooter? And the makeup guy says, I'm not a plastic surgeon. <laughs> so I went to work with a lot of confidence that day. So, well, I still got so that. I still got it. Hooter was was a nose. Your nose is your hooter. Uh, yeah, I'm proud of my nose. Yeah. I take one breath and that's it for the I'm, day. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think of hooters another way, but that's. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> well, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> and and I'll let you do the dirty joke about your name. About oh. You know, people are still telling me yes. that joke, and it came out in the Playboy Joke magazine in the fifth, or in the sixties. Yeah, it's been around that long, but people still like it. Okay, tell the joke. I can't. I don't know the joke. I just know the punchline. Don't, that, that they say uh, Dick Van Dyke is another way of saying uh, penis van lesbian. That's right. Yeah. But was I've heard Mary Tyler Moore tell that joke. On Mary television. told it. She, she told it on the Letterman show. Why, that little brat? <laughs> Years ago. As a matter of fact, they found several good jokes over the over time on that joke page. I forget what the other one was. Uh, I can't remember, but Dick and Dyke, you know, is, you're wide open. <laughs> <laughs> Dick and Dyke are wide open. <laughs> we will return to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast after this you know gil i'd love to ask dick about some of the other classic comedians that he worked with the people whose names have come up on our show like ed win oh yeah ed uh, but he, he was he was very very quiet he rarely talked i, I don't think he was that well he was pro- probably not my age but, but he, he had a little portable radio which he always had with him never heard him listen to it one day i was looking at him he opened up and like a little bottle of rye in there <laughs> that he carried with him. Now, can you do an Edwin imitation? No. Well, no. I, he, he wants to well, I love to laugh. I, I feel so. He had that. That was his yes. delivery always. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I remember him on the Texaco Theater on television, and he was very big in, uh, in uh, vaudeville. And then I worked with Bert Lahr in a, in a. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about Bert Lahr. Yeah. In, uh, he was Girls a, Against the Boys, right? He What? Girls the Against Girls the Boys. The Girls Against the Boys. Two sh- big weeks on Broadway and out. <laughs> but I worked with Nancy Walker, who had a great... But Bert was a worrier. You know, I thought, I'm meeting the cowardly lion. But when he'd done a punchline, everybody on the stage had to freeze. Everybody had to freeze. While he did his... <laughs> the punchline was always out to the audience. <laughs> I mean, he was funny. Now, you must have worked with Edwin's son... Uh, Keenan Wynn. Never. No. no. I think I met him once, yeah. Yeah, he was a pretty good actor, Keenan. Oh, very no, good. I did not know Keenan. Yeah, good second banana. 
What about Red Fox? You made a TV movie with the legendary Red Fox. <laughs> Don't ask. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's nothing you can tell on the air. <laughs> How about you? You got to meet two more heroes, both Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire. Oh, yeah. I, my great story is that one morning, when we were doing the Van Dyke show, I was driving on the freeway, and Bob, uh, the guy, uh, the disc jockey, was interviewing uh, Fred Astaire. And he said, what do you think about today's crop of dancers? And he complimented the young man who had been in West Side Story. And he said, I like the way Dick Van Dyke moves. I almost drove off of the freeway. Wow. And I got to the studio and I said, did you, did you hear what I said? Nobody. And to this day, I've never run into anybody that heard it. <laughs> but it happened. <laughs> Bob Crane, that's right. Oh, who was who had later who had his H- own Hogan series. Talk yeah. about a strange idea for a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I first got out here, when I had $16, I would go to Santa Anita and bet on the uh, uh, $2 on a horse. Astaire loved horses. At the 100 I would follow him up to hear who he was going to bet on. But all during that time, I learned to walk. Because I'm walking behind him. I got that walk down. <laughs> which you had all the time. Did you know any of, and this is going totally off track, did you know any of the old horror stars? No. No. no I never met one. Uh, Bar- Boris Karloff, I would love to have met. Yeah. Elsa Lanchester was in Mary Huh? Oh. Oh, she was. That's right. Oh, that's right, Elsa Lanchester. Right, Mrs. Frankenstein. Uh, Mrs. Franken. I forgot that. You're right. I did work nice with Nice call. Hey, can I torture you some sure. more and, and, and sing a little bit of supercalifragilistic? <laughs> you got your glasses? <laughs> this is, is this oh. your singing debut? Yes. It is? <laughs> no, no, no Dick, sung, Dick, he sings on every episode. I sadly sung on other shows. <laughs> he does. <laughs> Okay. Oh, you can see without the... Gl- oh, here. <laughs> I'm looking like I never saw the word before. It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. If you say it loud enough, you always sound precocious. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Then you got to go, um diddle um diddle um because I was afraid to speak when, when I was just a lad. My father gave my nose a tweak and, and told me I was, I was bad. But, but then, then one day I learned the word that saved me a nose. nose. The, the biggest, biggest word, word I ever heard. And this is how it goes. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. Actually, you have to go up a half to. It goes up a little, but never mind. He traveled all around the world and everywhere he went. He said his special word and... He'd use his word and would say, there's a clever gent. When Dukes and Maharajas pass the time of day with me, I'd say my special word, and then they'd ask me out to tea. (laughs) 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 
That was a good cockney, wasn't it? Fantastic. Not bad. Yeah, do the rest Not of bad at all. I can't. Yeah. Where are we? Yeah, here. Uh, the, you know the if, uh, even though the sound of it is atrocious, if you say it loud enough, you always sound precocious, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Or can't say, but but when the cat got your tongue, there's no need for the smile. Just summon up this word, and then you got a lot to say. That's the best I can do. That's better than I did in the movie, though. Maybe I could go in and dub the whole movie. Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. Well, yeah, I think. Um, well, no, I think I, we one, got an album here. What? Yes, we got an album here. We definitely do. <laughs> Seventy-eight. See, see, I'd sing every day if you came to my house <laughs> with me. Dick, quickly tell us about Cary Grant coming to visit you backstage. Oh, my God. I, I, I wore my own clothes. They let me wear my own suits in Birdie. And I heard that Cary Grant was in the audience. After the show, knock on the door, Cary Grant walks in and brushes me aside and goes over and starts going through my suits. <laughs> Is that cute? <laughs> and I had a Best Dressed Award after six something. And he signed it. Well, Cary Grant. And I, I value that. You know, he asked me to do a movie with him, and I didn't do it. Oh, my God. I, to this day, I, I don't know what's the matter with me. It was one of those What was great, the movie? You, you know, those universal romantic comedies they did with uh-huh. Rock, uh, Rock Hudson and everybody. I didn't do it. To this, I should have, just so I could say that I had worked with Cary Grant. Well. I also found it interesting that you turned down the Gregory Peck part in The Omen. I did. Uh, because of the, uh, uh, there was so much violence. People are being impaled on things, and I said, "Geez, yeah, yeah." I'm sorry, I Gilbert. Didn't do can it, you catch Dick Van Dyke in the Omen? They couldn't yeah. get me, so they got Gregory. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. And I also turned down uh, the Western Cat Baloo. Oh, they wow! They wanted me to do Cat Baloo. Oh, wow! And uh, they turned it down. They got Lee Marvin. Hey, that ain't bad. <laughs> yeah. I like you in a film that, that is kind of maligned, Dick, which is Stanley Kramer's film, The Runner Stumbles. Oh, we went through a real thing on that. I, I was just, I was telling Kevin Spade, he sent me this script and I said, are you crazy? I mean, it's, it's so far over my head. I mean, it was deep, pretty heavy drama. A priest in love with a nun based on a true story. And I kept saying, yeah. Stanley, I can't, I, I, I can't do it. Well, he talked me into it and then he wouldn't help me. I'm working with such good actors and actresses, and I'm dying. I just, I stunk to high heaven, like I expected I would. But I, now I think I could do it today, probably. I've got a little more experience under my belt, and I wouldn't be so frightened. <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't turn out well. I, I think you're hard on yourself. I don't think it's a bad film at all. Well, I think it's a pretty good film, as somebody else should have played me. <laughs> well, there was an article in... New Yorker magazine said the most wooden performance they had ever seen. Oh, geez. And it was. Yeah. I had to agree with him. <laughs> I am going to ask you to sing one more thing. I'll, maybe I'll let you do this yourself. Because I heard this is like your favorite song to sing every day. Oh, what a glorious... Um, what What is the name of this? 
Jolly Holiday. Jolly Holiday. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can, can, can you sing some of that for us? Yeah, well, that's my morning song. Ain't it a glorious day, bright as a morning in May? I feel like I could fly. Have you ever seen the grass so green? I'm getting hoarse. <laughs> or a bluer sky. That, oh, it's a jolly holiday with me. And that's, that's where we do the dance. You know, we do it with our quartet. I'm sorry they're not here. Just Eric's here with three basses and a tenor. <laughs> so we switch around parts all that. And that's where we're singing my hits. I love that song. The Vans, the Fantastics is the name Van-tastics. of the group, right, Dick? Yeah. We sang the, the, uh, for the Lakers a couple of times, the national anthem. And every time the guy was saying, here they are, the Fantastics. <laughs> it's the Fantastics. <laughs> are we out of questions? I, I, we could be. I wanted to say one thing, Dick, in, the, in, in your book, in your new book, which, again, we should plug. Keep moving. And what's right. the full Which title? A- Keep moving. Tips and truths about aging. Tips and truths about, about aging. aging. They never will use my titles. I wanted to call "How to Act When You're Circling the Drain," <laughs> and they wouldn't go. I like that. Yeah. Is that a better title? <laughs> they they called me and I said it'll be a very short book. Keep moving. That's what it's about. But I sat down and started to write with, with uh, Todd, my school writer. And a lot of stuff came out. I was surprised. Once I got on a roll, I found I had a lot to say. <laughs> but, uh, the, in particular, there's a passage in the book where you're talking about the importance of, of younger generations sitting and listening to the stories of older generations. That's right. They, uh, they and, don't and anymore. That, <laughs> Nobody. It's, it's, it's one of the reasons that Gilbert and I put this show together is to, is to hear those stories. Exactly. So we, we, they don't venerate old people you. anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Who has a song, I Hope I Die Before I Get Old. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's it. It's so bad because I try to tell them it's a great time of life. I'm having the best time ever. A beautiful young wife. I sing and dance every day. I'm on podcasts. Yes. You, you, got, to, <laughs> yep. you got to harmonize with Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> <laughs> a rare privilege. <laughs> Thanks, thanks for sharing your story. Oh, I loved it. We're, we're, we're very grateful. Are there any quick tips you can give us to uh, getting older gracefully? Don't ever start going down the stairs sideways. <laughs> because that's what people do to favor their knees. That starts the back, and that's when everything starts to go. They start going down the stairs sideways. I see it. <laughs> Even if it hurts a little, go down the stairs front ways. <laughs> I mean, that's real advice. <laughs> you'll, you'll find out I'm telling the truth Yeah. Does, does Dick have one more song in him to take us out you were singing a song right before we were recording oh no you, know, you were singing uh, actually of old things a Billy Joel song uh, what? Uh, oh yeah. he was singing New York State of Mind yeah. oh yeah I don't. Even, I don't know it. I just be. But I think it's a heck of a song. Okay. How about the one you just did for your birthday party with the flash mob? What? What? What, what did they do? We did supercalifragilistic, didn't we? No, you did go. You also did go fly a kite. Oh, Let's go fly okay. A kite. With tuppens for paper and string, you can have your own set of wings. With your feet on the ground, you're a bird in flight. With your fist holding tight. 
to the to the swing of your kite. I'm too high. Oh, let's go fly a kite up to the highest height. Let's go fly a kite and send it soaring. Why am I doing this? It's so high. <laughs> I got horses. You, I'm clear out of my own range. And, and this is ridiculous to ask you, and, and you could tell me to go F myself. <laughs> you're, 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 you're not going to ask him to trip over the ottoman, are you, Gil? No. Could you show me <laughs> any dance moves? I, no. I don't, I don't yeah. know any standard anything. Yeah. I do what the choreographer tells me. Oh, yeah? <laughs> so, I think we should end it Uh-oh. with us singing this part. You know, the classic supercalifragile. <laughs> you want to do the, yes. this, this verse? Yes, yes. Okay, can we sing it a little lower? <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, hurting myself. Let's hear some dick singing this time, Gil. Okay. Hey, I'll try. <laughs> Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. If you say it loud enough, you always sound precocious. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Hey, good. Oh, good key. God. <laughs> I think you I made a good chimney sweep. So thank you. <laughs> I just sang with Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> oh, and, hot damn. And I think I came. <laughs> oh, folks, I wish what time is it in New York? <laughs> it's late. So, oh, Lord. So I guess... <laughs> Is that it? It'll be over. Yeah, well, oh, that's I, it. I'm going to throw my pants in the wash. And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to say uh, this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co host, Frank Santo Padre. And we've been talking to the great Dick Van Dyke. Thank you. I really Thank enjoyed you, this. I'll come on again. We, we should rehearse first with our little duet. <laughs> you'll, you'll, like you'll, for three or four days. <laughs> you'll come on again and I'll come again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks. I really appreciate you coming out to my house and oh, doing all no this. problem. Like a party. Oh, thanks. Thank you, Dick. Thank you. My pleasure. Our fine four-fendered friend, you're sweet as a thoroughbred. You'll cease our offended fate. You'll turn everybody's head today. We'll glide on our motor trip. With pride in our leadership, the envy of all we survey. Oh, chitty, oh, chitty, chitty, bang, bang, chitty, chitty, bang, bang, we love you. And chitty, oh, chitty, 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 bang, bang, chitty, chitty, bang, bang, what we'll do. Big chitty, four, chitty, in a motor car, oh, whatever time we spend. Bang, bang, chitty, chitty, bang, bang, our fine four-fender friend. Bang, bang, chitty, chitty, bang, bang, our fine four-fender friend. Chitty, chitty, bang, bang, chitty, chitty,